Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my new show that airs every Tuesday and Friday. We talk all things NBA, NFL. Today, we are talking NFL with a buddy of mine, Jordan Schultz. He is an NFL insider. Make sure you follow him on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days, at Schultz underscore report. Follow him on TikTok, Instagram. He is plugged in. He's a must follow if you're an NFL fan. I'm sure you're probably already following anyway, but if you aren't, make sure you are. Jordan, how are you? Alex, it's a pleasure. Congrats on the show. I've been following, and uh, I thought you normally you're an NBA guy, so I was a little surprised when you said, let's let's talk football. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to pull a Jordan, get out of my comfort zone a little bit, be able to be versatile, some NBA, some NFL, so that's the goal of the show. Um, I've, I've always been a huge football fan, just haven't really done much in that space. Uh, big Bucks fan, as you can see by the hat here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I it's fun for me being able to talk more football. Uh, we still do have NBA guests on, but yeah, it's been, been a nice change of pace a little bit. But I want to pick your brain about this this NFL season. Uh, you know, we, we're in week six now. I had to start by asking about my Buccaneers. Uh, do you think this team is for real? Because entering the season, all the power rankings had the Bucks. you know, 30th, 31st, 32nd. Now I think CBS Sports has them as high as number six. It's kind of crazy. A lot of Bucks fans here are really surprised by just the start. What are your thoughts on the Bucks so far, and is this team legitimate? They're very good. You know, it's the the biggest element for them is Baker Mayfield, and it's what we're seeing now is the same Baker Mayfield, even more so than what we saw toward the end of last season with the Rams. And I think you know the the number one thing for for him when he went to LA last year was he needed to rediscover his swag and his identity that I think he may be lost to a degree in Cleveland. You know, he was the number one pick. He was the Heisman Trophy winner, and he was supposed to be, you know, the next great thing in, in Cleveland. And never really quite got there. You know, he had moments, but they never found real success. I think his play was scattered, and he goes to the Rams. It was almost an afterthought, and he really performed really admirably. You know, he, he didn't know the offense. He came in, and when I asked players about him, I wanted to gauge, like, what was Baker Mayfield the teammate like? And it it almost surprised me to hear how all-in everyone was on Baker after a short period of time. When you're a quarterback, especially one of his stature who was the number one pick and you're traded, and things don't go the way that you thought they would, it's very easy to go somewhere knowing that it's going to be short-term as it was in L.A. and understand that you, know, you could just – mail it in and, and go for next year at free agency or whatever. But he didn't do it. He really locked in knowing the organization was someone in a state of chaos. They came off the Super Bowl and they they didn't really have a great roster and they were struggling. And, you know, he had some great moments. And he's now parlayed those moments into a really strong start in Tampa. And I'd be lying if I told you I expected this quality of play. I thought he'd be competitive. I thought they'd be competitive in what – I would say is probably the the most open division in the league in the NFC South, but he's played really well. I think the synergy he's found with with Mike Evans has been awesome. Obviously, they they're still trying to figure out. I think Tampa what their identity is post Tom Brady, post yeah. Bowl from two years ago, but they're finding it now. And you know when Baker went there, I thought I still thought there was a chance that Kyle Trask could win that job. They give it to Baker; he earned it. And he's, he's run with it. I, I would say he's been better than advertised. And if he continues to play like this, there's no reason why that's not a playoff team. And they have some really interesting young players. Like, I, I love Rashad White. I love Kalijah Kansi. Um, and I think if when Edmonds comes back healthy, I mean, he was on pace for 
1,600 yards. So I thought they should have paid him. They didn't. We'll see what happens down the line. But, you know, he was considered to be a, a, a trade candidate as well. And I, I don't really see that at this point, considering how well he's playing and how well they're playing as an offense. Speaking of trade candidates, we saw a trade a little bit ago. Uh, the Falcons acquired Van Jefferson from the Rams. There have been reports out there. The Broncos may be looking to make some moves. The Vikings with Justin Jefferson now hurt. The Patriots, who knows what's going on with the Patriots. Um, you know, what are some trade rumors that you're hearing? Who are some teams to kind of keep an eye on? I know it's not as active as the NBA typically, but uh, who are some teams to maybe keep an eye on there? Denver is really interesting because Sean Payton is trying so hard to, he wants to put his fingerprints on the entire organization. And I think when you bring in someone like Sean Payton and you give up what they gave up, a tremendous amount, also financially, just massive deal for a head coach, they, they're going to allow him to dictate his terms. They traded away Randy Gregory after they were trying to cut him and end up giving him or trading him to San Francisco. And now they have to figure out with Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton, two guys who have trade value, whether or not they want to pull the trigger. I think Frank Clark is, is available, Garrett Bowles, the offensive lineman. They're going to be sellers, in my opinion, as we go forward toward the deadline because the, the defense has been horrible, and the offense with Russell Wilson just hasn't found it. He's been okay, better than last year, but last year at this point, they had a couple wins. So, I listen, I think Denver is in a pretty precarious position, and with Sean Payton, it's not just about this season. It's going to be long-term, and that brings me to Patrick Sertan, who is one of the premier young players in the league regardless of position. If you were to make a framework for a Patrick Sertan trade, it would have to look like it did with Jalen Ramsey when he went from, from Jacksonville to L.A., which was two number ones and a three. And I, to me, like, you, you, don't, you don't trade Sertan. He, he's the face of the franchise with respect to Russell Wilson. But if things were to continue to go down this direction and they continue to struggle the next few weeks, um, you know, maybe perhaps they, they decide to get really frisky and make a move. I, I believe it'd be a horrible mistake. Because he's only in his third year, you could ultimately decide not to pay him for another year, so he's still on a cheap rookie deal. But they're in a really tough spot, and this is not surprising. Like they, I don't know how you could go into this season and think Denver was going to be a playoff contender. Their defense has been historically bad, and so they're going to be. I think they're going to be active sellers at the deadline. Last year they wanted uh, a lot for Judy. I think it was a one. I don't. They can't get that for him now. Another team is Washington, right? Because they have Montez Sweat and Chase Young represented by the same agent in clutch sports, same position essentially. They're not going to be able to keep both guys. And there's transition now with that ownership group wanting to come in and create stability. So I wouldn't be surprised if if one of them was was moved because they're both going to be free agents and they're not going to be able to pay both in the long term. And then Minnesota, I would say, is, is fascinating, Alex, because they're one in four. They have a lot of guys that could be available, Daniel Hunter, uh, Marcus Davenport, Harrison Smith. You, you could go down the roster, but – Ultimately, the big name there is Kirk Cousins, mm -hmm. and he has a no-trade clause. He's going to be a free agent. You can't tag him. I don't see any scenario where he's back in Minnesota next year. The question now becomes, if they were to lose the next couple games without Justin Jefferson, who's on IR, let's say hypothetically they lose to Chicago and San Francisco the next two, then I think they're in a full sale or fire sale mode. But really, I, to, to, to trade Cousins is, is complicated because – not only do I not only is he a free agent, but he has a no trade clause, and it would behoove him to remain in Minnesota if he goes to just hypothetically. And I'm reporting this, but if he goes to the Jets, for example, yeah, he's gonna learn a new playbook. I think his his free agency value gets diminished slightly. So I would be surprised if he's moved, but that's the framework. If they were to lose a couple more, maybe they they explore that. 
this 2024 NFL draft is being talked about a ton. There's so much hype, you know, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr. Do you think that is also something to keep in mind? If you're an executive and your team's struggling, you know, that, that has to be something that's in the back of their minds. What are you hearing from executives about this upcoming class? Absolutely. I mean, if it, you're at the point now, if you're like in New England, for example, where you know, not only are you not a playoff team, but you might not be a five-win team. You, when else are you going to have an opportunity if you're the Patriots to try to get a Drake May or a Caleb Williams? When else are you going to have that chance to get your franchise quarterback? It's not Mac Jones. I think we, we all know that now with respect to him. Um, so to me, the Patriots are interesting. Uh, Arizona, like are they committed long-term to Kyler Murray? We, we, don't, we don't know that. I, I, I don't know the answer. Um, they could, uh, Chicago, so Chicago could have the first and second pick in theory of this draft. So a- as we get closer to the deadline and as teams, I think the next couple of weeks really understand what they are or are not heading into the second half of the season, then you're going to see, I don't want to say tanky, but you're going to see teams, um, really start to vie for position. I mean, I was talking to Cliff Kingsbury about Caleb Williams. He's the, he's working with him at SC now, and he obviously worked with Kyler Murray and, uh, Mahomes and Baker Mayfield, a lot of really good quarterbacks. And he was saying that Caleb Williams has everything you'd want. Like he, he's super, super special. And his arm talent, uh, his ability to manipulate the pocket, like that's freakish stuff. I think he's a once-in-a-generation player. I love Drake May. I'm not a quarterback guru, but he has the size and, and prototypical ability, the big arm. You know, he could have left North Carolina to go for a bigger NIL. He stayed. He's beloved there. I think Mac Brown has said he's one of his favorite players he's ever coached. You know, Michael Penix, I love at Washington. Um, there's, there's a, it's a historic type of class. But without question, you know, Caleb Williams is, has been dubbed, you know, the next big thing. And I think we'll, we'll start to see teams buy for that. What are your thoughts on kind of the state of the running back position? I know obviously those guys are frustrated, understandably so. Just, you know, they're not getting the the money they thought they would. They're not being valued the way that they thought they would. I saw some great stat, I think it was like a month or two ago, about just how uh, much contracts have changed over the years for every other position except running back and punter. Those guys are getting paid basically the same money they were a decade, two decades ago. It's kind of crazy. What are your, I mean, we saw Jonathan Taylor get paid, which is kind of shocking, but what are your thoughts on just where running backs go from here and what options they even have? Yeah, props to JT. He got real money. I think it was over 14 a year. I mean, that's that's huge money for a running back, especially now. Um, I, I don't know what this what the path is. The, the, the problem for the running backs is twofold. Number one, the way that the CBA was negotiated, there's no way, there's no path to them getting more money because teams are also, I don't want to say colluding, but teams are actively not paying running backs collectively. So the Bears know what the Texans know, what the Seahawks know. It's it's all, everyone is very clear that we're not going to pay this position. You mentioned punters. I mean, I, I it's the, 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 the dichotomy between those two positions is, is incredible. There, there's not a more taxing position in sports than running back. It is a car crash every play. If they're not being asked to run the ball, they're being asked to catch. If they're not being asked to catch, they're being asked to block. It's a it's a brutal position with a very, very short shelf life. You know, I would say that the only way forward for running backs is to when the new CBA is bargained in a couple of years that they find an opportunity there to demand to, to demand better, demand more. But the league is the NFL is about tradition, and the, the owners are not going to suddenly say. We're going to pay running backs more because we feel badly. It's a right. business first league. 
the 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 owners are not going to budge on this, and and I I don't really know what the path forward is other than potentially with a new CBA. But it's terrible, and I have been an advocate of running backs, guys like Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, who have not been paid yet, who are vital to their team success. Um, but I don't see the path forward unless it's with the new CBA. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a tough spot to be in. I feel bad for those guys. Uh, so we've seen, you know, certain teams are kind of pulling ahead of the pack. The Niners look incredible. The Eagles are undefeated. The Dolphins, especially offensively, look dominant. If the season we're heading today, obviously it's still very early, but who is your your way too early Super Bowl pick for right now? Miami and San Francisco. Yeah, that would be so much fun. I was really into the Dolphins before the season, but what they've done breaking a record every week, it seems like, yardage, points, yards per play. I mean, it, it's remarkable. It's And it's it's ironic that it's and fitting that it's Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel who mm-hmm. obviously were together in San Francisco. Um, the very few teams, actually no team in the league, has more motion at the snap, not just pre-snap, but at the snap than the, than the Dolphins. So they are innovating – uh, every week, and you're seeing it because teams don't know how to guard them, and also just the pure speed. I think the difference between San Francisco and Miami offensively is the speed. Nobody can touch the Dolphins. If it's not HN, it's Mostert or Tyreek or Waddle. Uh, everyone can run in that offense. If, you, if you're not fast, there's not a home for you there. And McDaniel is so good at getting guys in space and then blocking up front with, um, you know, uh, Fortua. And remember, they haven't had Teron Armstead. They haven't had Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, HN's hurt now. So when they're healthy, that's a team that's going to peak at the end of the year to me. The Niners, they don't have a weakness. They, they just, every single position is strong. And, and it really starts up front. I mean, Trent Williams is going to be 40 years old. He's, he's still blocking like he's 25. He's the best left tackle in the league. He's been that for the last decade. Um, the misdirection that they have, all the window dressing. I mean, George Kittle hadn't scored a touchdown all year. He scores three against Dallas. The next week, it's going to be Ayuk or Samuel. McCaffrey goes 19 carries, 51 yards. He doesn't explode. You cannot defend them for, for, for 60 minutes. That They are going to break through. The defensively, best linebacker in the league in Fred Warner, uh, emerging secondary. They, they have found ways to be innovative as well defensively. They don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. I love watching them. I mean, the beatdown against Dallas 42-10 was remarkable because, to me, Dallas, even without Trayvon Diggs, and Lane Vanderess has as one of the best defenses in the league. So those are the two best teams in the league right now. Um, and that's the only reason I don't put the Chiefs in there is I really want to make sure they're fully healthy. If the Chiefs are fully healthy, to me, they're the best team in the league, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. And until they're peaking, I, I won't put them there. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, both those teams look so, so they're so much fun to watch and they just look so dominant. Um, it's been a lot of fun seeing this Niners team. So I want to ask you about the life of an NFL insider. Um, you're very plugged in. I mean, anyone that follows you knows that you have, you're talking to executives all the time. You're breaking news. You know, you have a lot of sourced information. How did you kind of, because you mentioned, you know, you kind of used to be in the NBA space a little bit too. You had the podcast with CJ. Like, yeah, we both kind of dabbled in, in both spots a little bit. But how did you kind of find yourself, you know, moving into this role? Because I've been following your work for a long time, been a fan for a long time. But now kind of moving over to the NFL insider space. How did that kind of happen? And what's that been like? Well, I, I just felt like the NBA space, I, I thought it was so crowded and there wasn't enough room. And I tried like basketball was my first love. Basketball and baseball. I mean, football was like third for me. And, you know, I was a pretty good high school basketball player and and, and played four years in college. Not well, but <laughs> basketball was always 
like home for me. And I, I, I truly consider myself like a hoop junkie, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was progressing. You know, I felt like I was spinning my wheels and I, I tried so hard. I was at ESPN and I tried the, some college hoops. I, I did the betting show, which I really enjoyed, but I never felt like I was really taking off like to the next level. And I don't know. I, I for me, the transition happened, I guess, a year and a half ago. Um, I, I was essentially in, in a crossroads where I felt like, you know, people don't really know what what I am. Am I kind of like a jack of all trades, a utility player? Because I was trying to do everything at once. Like I was trying to do NFL and NBA and mix in like tennis. I just didn't know what I was. And I don't think people do as a result. So I made the move to the NFL Insider full-time gig going into free agency 2022 with the understanding that I had cultivated, I thought, enough relationships to break some news, but more importantly, just get my my name out there, get my, my foot in the door. Um, I think basketball, the rosters are so small, like 12 yeah. guys. There's not that many coaches and agents and players compared to the NFL where you have 53 guys, you have a practice squad, there's a lot of agents, there's more coaches. It just felt like if I was going to break through in one or the other, I thought the NFL made more sense because – there was more opportunity and I was, I wanted to be opportunistic. And I felt like I had, like I said, enough relationships in football. So I, I went into 2022 for agency and was able to break a fair amount of news that went well. And I think what really helped for me was breaking Gronk's retirement. I had cultivated a relationship with Rob. And when it came down, when it came down to making a decision, he had told me that he was going to have me announce it. And I wasn't sure how that was going to go, but I thought, I thought there was a decent chance. I just didn't know if it would get leaked somewhere else. But sure enough, he calls me and he tells me and I put it out. And I felt like after that, it seemed like I had executives and agents coming to me more as opposed to me just constantly chasing. Mm -hmm. And and that was really refreshing and it was it was validating for me. And I started to do more on air and, and do more networks, whether it was on ESPN or Fox or uh, you know, McAfee or just any of these daily shows that I felt like I needed to get on. And so ultimately it was the right decision, but I'll tell you, Alex, it is, it is very difficult day in and day out to do the insider gig because there's just, especially in the NFL, there's just so much, you know, yeah. it's relentless. And that's my, like my nature is I'm relentless in terms of chasing information, but, but it gets hard and it is it's lonely sometimes, not always, um, knowing what, what, what to pursue or, or how to pursue stories. And the hardest thing for me, the hardest thing by far is sitting on information when you know it's probably going to get out, but you, you've made the commitment to the agent or to the coach or whomever that you're going to be, you're going to be fair and you're not going to report it either ever or maybe till tomorrow or whatever it is. But that's, that's the hardest thing. It happens not daily, but weekly it happens. And most of the time when that happens, you end up losing the story. And that's probably the most frustrating. But but I really do feel like it's I'm in it for the long game. You know, like I I don't want to burn bridges because I know that if you do it right for long enough, it'll all come back. So that's that's really my philosophy. Yeah, I, I had my news breaking phase. Yeah. Uh, and this is why I wanted to ask you about it, because what I was doing, I was so stressed out all the time because I'd be at a movie with my wife and then you get a text and it's like, oh, I'm working now. I'm at, yeah. you know, a relative's birthday party. And it's like, oh, this news just broke. And now, you know, I want to obviously get the story. And it, it's the best high in the world whenever you actually do break a story and it blows up and you're getting credit everywhere. And you obviously get the bump in followers and stuff like that. But then you're right. It's also so frustrating when you have the story and either 
you need a second source or for some reason you can't put it out there. Uh, that's the worst feeling in the world and someone else gets it and you were like, I was this close to having it. So that's why I just wanted to ask. I mean, that's an adjustment going to that, going from being, you know, a host and an analyst to more of the insider where you're kind of on the clock 24 seven. So I want to ask you about that part of it too. Yeah, it's not something that, uh, it's hard to explain unless you've experienced it, you know, just like having your phone on at night and having your phone always by you. I mean, that's difficult, you know, and we have two young kids and, and the phone is a constant issue because I, I want to be present for them. I want to be, you know, daddy first and, and husband, but, but the, the NFL game is, is really, it's, I, I would say with respect to the NBA that it's, it's truly the only 365 sport. Um, just the way the league has marketed the draft and free agency and the combine and senior bowl, it just never ends. So uh, it, it's difficult. It's it's very rewarding. I've, obviously, when you when you break news and get to go on networks and and that's that's obviously the the, the payoff. But mm-hmm. I I I want to do it. I'm trying to to do it really through the lens of the player to empower the players. I think with the NFL, I have this helmet there that I always keep next to me because the the NFL helmet, the football helmet is it's so disarming like you don't you don't really as NFL fans and I'm guilty of this too you don't really necessarily know who's under the helmet like there could be I was in the Super Bowl and there was marquee players walking around who people didn't know including myself I'd be like I know that guy but I can't quite put my my finger on it that's and it's because of the helmet and I think for the average fan unless you're a quarterback or a fantasy superstar it's really hard to know what's under the helmet so I'm my philosophy is I'm trying to to showcase and empower the player and not just, you know, break the news, you know, try to give more context to it. But even that's difficult sometimes because the cycle's so fast. So um, that's that's how the best way to describe it. No, that's well put. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why I've always kind of liked your stuff. And I think we both tend to be more positive and yes. more player centric. I'm not a big fan of, you know, all the hot takes and negative negativity and talking about guys, you know, relationships or family. I think you and I kind of see the world the same way in that regard. And also just like no burning a relationship no no one story is ever worth Absolutely. burning a relationship i think we kind of have the same approach in that way 100% i mean it's it's the long game man and and that's uh that's the best way to put it yeah i mean if you're if you're really like if you have the most basic philosophy it'd be don't yeah don't burn bridges because it's it's going to come back to haunt you it, it just it is and listen i'm i'm not perfect i've made mistakes uh not maliciously but i'm sure i'll make more mistakes but the better off you are with, with your relationships, 100%, that it'll come back around. And I think that's that's probably the most significant advice that I would give anybody trying to get into business. Yeah, absolutely. It's a small little world, especially if you're covering one league. I mean, it, everyone it's, talks. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's 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 conniving. It's tough. It, it's um, You feel like you're on an island a lot. So, yeah, I appreciate your philosophy. Um and how you, yeah, what, what the way you approach things. I can imagine that with the NBA, that uh, shifting away from that day-to-day basis was probably rewarding for you, right? From, from the, I'm saying from the breaking stuff. Yeah, it was so nice. I basically was like, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was more like, let me use my relationships to get exclusive interviews, get different podcast interviews, do some long forms. You know, I would still talk to executives and rather than trying to get the, the trade scoop or free agent scoop, it was like, well, give me some yeah. quotes about, you know, what your job is like behind the scenes. So yeah, it was kind of just like a pivot. We're using those same relationships, but doing it in a different way. But yeah, I always find the insider stuff so interesting. So I had to ask it. I'm, I'm really happy for you, man. It's so cool seeing you get so many of these big stories. The day the Gronk news broke, I wasn't very happy with you, I will say, as a Bucks fan, but 
not your fault, obviously. Uh, but I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But I'm a little happy for Jordan. You know, it was kind of like mixed emotions for me there. Um, but Dude, no, I was so cool. I, I actually, I actually felt like there was a decent chance he was going to come back. So I was surprised too. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I appreciate it. And congrats on the new show. Uh, wh- when did you launch it, dude? It's, it's last week. It's it's like wow. new. So you're my fourth Second. guest. I've had two shows, and one of the episodes had two guests. So you're no, you're my third guest. No, fourth guest. Yeah. I will, so I will subscribe, and of course, uh, love to come on anytime. It's that's very cool, man. Good good name. I like running up the score. That's a good name. Yeah, I was like, what can be a name that kind of has like a little bit NBA or NFL feel, just like a general uh, sports type name. So I appreciate that. Uh, a yeah, man. Like running up the score, like running, you know, it's it's good. It's a very good name. Good logo. So congrats. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. And everyone, make sure you guys are following Jordan. As I said, if you're an NFL fan, you have to be following him. You know, it's so many interesting rumors and quotes from executives and sourced information. Uh, he's a must follow. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, on TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. Uh, and Jordan, man, keep up the great work. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, Alex. Thank you. Continuing our NFL conversation, I am now joined by a terrific fantasy football analyst. He does incredible work for football guys. You should check out his Twitter account at Dave Kluge. Follow his YouTube videos, articles, everything. If he's put it out there, you guys should be consuming it. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me, Alex. This is uh, fun. You know, you and I have been talking in DMs and behind the scenes, strategizing and talking about some fantasy football takes for years. So uh, excited to get it out here to the people today. That's a very nice way of saying that I constantly annoy you with fantasy <laughs> questions. Uh, I appreciate, you know, you you kind of being nice about that. But no, I mean, I, I respect your work. You do a great job. Uh, I love your Twitter account, too. I feel like your takes and your, your jokes on there are so funny. So if you're an NFL fan, make sure you're following Dave. Um, and, and yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about uh, this season, you know, entering week six. Um, I'm curious, who were some of the biggest surprises for you so far this season from a fantasy standpoint? Well, I want to talk about one of the good surprises because there's a lot of negative surprises that we talk about. But man, the Los Angeles Rams, they have been quite a surprise. You know, before the season kicked off, a lot of people were talking about the Rams as a team that was just completely thrown in the towel. You know, we were hearing talks about them tanking for Caleb Williams, that Matthew Stafford's elbow was going to fall off as soon as he tried completing his first pass of the season, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Right now, Matthew Stafford is balling. Like, right now, the fantasy points haven't necessarily been there, but he's having a great start to his career. I was looking at the numbers yesterday, and I wrote about this in an article over at Football Guys, but he is on pace for the second most pass attempts of his career. We got to remember that uh, a while back he set the record with 727, but he is pacing behind just that season. He's also pacing for the third most yards of his career. Right now, his season kind of comes down to a really bad touchdown rate, lowest of his career, and a really high interception rate, the highest since his rookie season. So, well, in, in fantasy, you know, you can't just look at the fantasy output this early in the season. You want to look at the volume. You want to look at the output and hope that it'll stabilize a little bit. So right now, Matthew Stafford looks as good as he ever did. Just two years ago, this guy was the QB5 in fantasy scoring before winning a Super Bowl. And he's playing that same type of ball now. So fantasy points haven't been there, but the Los Angeles Rams offense is humming. And I think that Stafford is going to finish the season as a QB1. Yeah, he was not on my radar at all entering this season. You know, I tend to go for more of the rushing guys or younger guys, but he's been playing really well. Uh, who are some of the biggest disappointments for you? You mentioned, you know, some of the negative surprises. Who who, who are some guys that maybe disappointed or guys that you were higher on that haven't really panned out? 
I mean, we saw it from Jamar Chase last week. You know, he finally was able to put together a huge boom performance that we knew was there. But I'd say just the overall Cincinnati Bengals offense as a whole. And I think a lot of people just kind of scoffed at the preseason injury to Joe Burrow. They really downplayed it. But that's something that I think we should have paid more attention to. Historically, Zach Taylor and the Cincinnati Bengals, they downplay injuries. I mean, it was just a few years ago that Joe Mixon was day-to-day with a foot injury that lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks before they eventually shut him down for the season. So I think that was one of my biggest takeaways, not only that the Bengals offense overall and Joe Burrow have been disappointing, but that we need to start taking some of the injury information that comes out of Cincinnati with a grain of salt and realize that it could often be a little bit worse than we expect. Who are some of your favorite buy low candidates right now? Guys that you're targeting, uh, trying to pick up. uh, Who are some of those guys? So after I just talked about how the Cincinnati Bengals offense has been disappointing as a whole, I'm trying to buy low on T. Higgins where I can. I mean, his year so far has been disastrous. There's no other way around it. I mean, he gave us zero points in week one, and then he had an awful game in week three, knocked out a week four with an injury, missed week five with that same injury. But when healthy, he is one of the best wide receivers in the league. We talked about how Joe Burrow is dealing with this calf injury. I only expect that to get better from here on out. And when that calf injury gets better, so will the Cincinnati. Cincinnati Bengals offense as a whole. Last year, we saw T. Higgins putting up pretty similar production to Jamar Chase when both of them were healthy on the field. So a lot of his managers right now, after this slow start, after they invested a second or a third round draft pick in T. Higgins, are probably sitting at 1-4 or 0-5 right now. I'm testing the waters to see if I can buy low where I can. And then who are some sell-high candidates for you? Now, I'm looping a lot of these questions in with the questions that I had just answered. I am really excited about the Los Angeles Rams offense, but I'm trying to sell high on Kyron Williams. And the problem is I only have him in one league, and it's an analyst league where nobody really wants to buy Kyron Williams because he's showing all of the red flag indicators of a typical sell-high candidate. He has been extremely inefficient on the ground. He has had the lowest rushing yards over expectation per attempt in three of the last four weeks. This has been a great Rams offense, but he's been a liability in the run game. His production so far in fantasy has been really inflated by touchdowns and targets, but those are both pretty unsustainable. We're not going to see that stay over the course of a full season. And we've seen this in the past where Sean McVay will give a running back a ton of work. We saw it with Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle and Cam Akers where he can prop up these elite fantasy running backs but then like this it can just disappear and that's my fear is that this workload that we're seeing right now going Kyron Williams way could easily change so I don't know if that's going to be Zach Evans the rookie that they drafted in round five coming up I don't know if it's going to be a trade for Leonard Fournette or I'm sorry a trade for Zach Moss or maybe a signing for Leonard Fournette or maybe it's Ronnie Rivers but I don't expect Kyron Williams being the liability he's been in the run game to maintain the workload that we've seen so far. I want to talk about running back workloads because the running back position is just so gross. Uh, this year especially, I mean, I feel like there's so few work uh, workhorse backs, so many committees now. Even some of the guys that, you know, have these boom weeks, you can't really trust them week, week after week. You know, do you think going forward there's going to be a shift and we're going to see more zero RB, hero RB type strategies? Because uh, I, I feel like every year I'm like, you know what, this is going to be the year that I avoid running back early and load up on receivers. And then I I just fall for it every time. The scarcity, I end up taking at least one RB, usually two in the first couple of rounds. But do you think maybe we're going to shift and and we're going to see more zero or hero RB going forward? 
Yeah, and this was the year that we saw that shift start to happen. I mean, typically when you're looking at the first round of a fantasy draft, you're seeing like seven to eight of those picks are usually running backs. This year it was Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, and Bijan Robinson were the only running backs that were consistently going in round one. So a lot of people saw that and they said, well, when the market zigs, I'm going to zag. And they saw that as a reason to try to load up on running backs. But even with running backs falling in value, we're still seeing injuries and inconsistent workloads. And it has been a good year, even when the market shifted to zero and hero RB. It still looks like it was the optimal draft strategy for this year. So I'm going to continue beating the drum uh, to draft zero running back. I joke around all the time. The worst thing about drafting zero running back teams is that you can't brag about your team after the draft on Twitter because they look disgusting when you're showing Brian Robinson is your RB1 and Kyron Williams is your RB2. It doesn't look good when you're showing that off a week before the season. But the goal with that is you're not going to, you know, the first two running backs you draft aren't going to be your RB1 and RB2. You're loading up on those mid to late round guys in hopes that one of them can stumble into a bigger workload. So for people to win zero RB this year and ended up with DeAndre Swift and Kyron Williams and some of these guys right now that are putting up elite production, they're feeling pretty good about it so far. For sure. I see your Bears uh, helmet there in the background. I have to ask you about the Chicago Bears team. You've been a, a big proponent of Justin Fields. Uh, DJ Moore obviously played really well this past week and won me a league, so I was very happy about that. Um, what are your thoughts on this Bears team? I mean, in the first, first couple of weeks of the season, it just looked so bad. And it was, you know, all the talk was, are they going to, you know, potentially get the top pick? You know, do they move on from Justin Fields? Now starting to see some signs of life. What are your thoughts on this team going forward? And how are you kind of approaching their players from a skill or uh, from a fantasy standpoint? Well, it's a loaded question because there are so many uncertainties as to how this season's going to shake out. We got to remember the Bears also have the Carolina Panthers first round pick next year. And the Panthers are sitting in 0-5 right now. So there's a chance that... Justin Fields can kind of will this team into some wins. They can finish around 500 and still potentially end up with the number one overall pick next year. So there might not be anything Justin Fields can do to secure his longtime job with the Bears. But as far as fantasy goes, we get so buried by the numbers and spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff. But I am buying into the narrative that Justin Fields is just a slow starter. We saw it his rookie season. He struggled mightily when he came out the gate. His first three games, he was terrible. And then he consistently gave us these 20 plus point performances down the stretch. Last year through week four, Justin Fields was the QB 31. From week five onward, he was the QB three behind only Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. And this year we saw the same thing. He got off to a really slow start. And now it seems like he is starting to get this offense humming a little bit. Right now, if you look at stacks, you know, a quarterback and a wide receiver on the same team, the best stack you could have drafted on a per game basis, Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. After that, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. After that, Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill. Those are all expected. We knew those were going to be good stacks to get. But Justin Fields and DJ Moore right now is the fourth most valuable stack in fantasy football, despite the really slow start through the first two weeks. I don't see any reason that this trend isn't going to continue. I've been a big fan of DJ Moore since way before he ever came into Chicago. If you look at the peripheral metrics, he was a similar player to A.J. Brown in Tennessee and a similar player to Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. And a lot of people said that he wouldn't be able to take that step because of Justin Fields, but they are elevating each other's game. I'm looking at Justin Fields as a top five quarterback for the rest of the season, and DJ Moore is easily a top 10 wide receiver. Great stats. See, that's why we have you on the show. Great information there. That was fantastic. And I hope you're right because I have him in a couple of weeks here. So I'm hoping it's just a slow start and then rest of the way he'll be he'll be fine. I mean, all the talent in the world. It seemed like early on they weren't really letting him run a whole lot or didn't have a lot of designed runs. Uh, do you think that's something that we'll see change as well? And why do you think that was? 
Well, last year they didn't run a ton of, a ton of design runs either. It was kind of, um, you know, you saw him rushing a lot, but 48% of his rushing opportunities last year came on broken plays where either the offensive line was letting runners through or his wide receivers couldn't get open. So we're still seeing some of those design runs, but we're not seeing him run quite as much because now he finally has that wide receiver one. And DJ Moore is always going to be his first read. Even if DJ Moore looks like he has a defender on him, he is so good at the catch points, so good at contested catches. He can always pull the ball in. You got Darnell Mooney, who they haven't really gotten on the same page quite yet this year, but with his ability to stretch defenses vertically, I think that this year we do see Justin Fields rush a little bit less. I don't think we're going to see the same rushing output that we saw last year, but the increases in his efficiency as a passer should offset what we lose as a rusher. So that's why I'm still looking at him as a top five quarterback. Makes sense. All right, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prize Picks. Uh, if you guys haven't played Prize Picks, you actually should try it. Uh, it's a daily fantasy sports site and app. Uh, here's how it works you pick two to six players and pick whether they'll score more or less points than their prize pick projection. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections. They have projections for a ton of different sports NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, even overseas basketball, cricket, disc golf. It's kind of crazy. You can mix and match players from different sports. You could have LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes in your lineup, for example. If you download Prize Picks today and use the promo code RUNNING when you sign up, they'll match 100% of your deposit up to $100. That's the promo code RUNNING for 100% deposit match up to $100. It takes 60 seconds or less to build a lineup. Actually, typically 30 seconds or less. And we're going to show you just how easy it is right here. We're going to go ahead and build a lineup. Uh, let's go ahead and pull this up. All right, I'm going to show you just how easy it is to go ahead and build a lineup on prize picks. Uh, I'm going to say Christian or Christian Kirk's going to get more than 59.5 receiving yards. And Dave, do you have a pick that you want to go with? Yeah, if you scroll down a little bit, I was looking at this earlier, and I really like Adam Thielen uh, showing more than 68.5. This should be a shootout against Miami, and he's hit that mark or above in three straight games. So Adam Thielen, more than 68.5 yards. I like that. I like it. Yeah, Thielen's looked good recently. Kirk, aside from that week one performance, he's been super involved. He's had you know more than uh, 59.5 receiving yards in three of the last four games. Uh, and I think the other game was like 54 yards, so it came very close. So go ahead and just place your entry. We're going to put $10 in. And then just like that, you are we're signed up. So very, very easy. Thank you, Prize Picks, for, uh, for sponsoring this episode. And use that promo code RUNNING, and you can go ahead and play and, and join us and have fun on Sunday. See, that's what it's all about. Fantasy football, you want to play so you can enjoy the games, be more invested. Go ahead and uh, sign up for Prize Picks and use that code RUNNING. All right, uh, so I want to ask you about players that you're higher on than uh, maybe the rest of the the experts in this industry. Every fantasy analyst has guys that they kind of plant their flag on. Uh, who are some guys that maybe you're higher on rest of season than your peers? Uh, Brees Hall is a guy right now, and I don't want this to sound like I'm being overreactionary to his huge week five outing against the Denver Broncos. I've been beating the drum for Brees Hall all offseason through this year. He is my rest of season RB6, and looking at his ECR rest of season ranking, they've got him as RB15. So if I can get him in an RB5 price tag in a, in a trade, I'm doing that in a heartbeat. He's one of the most talented running backs in the league, and that's really what it comes down to. If he didn't have his ACL torn last year, I think we'd be talking about 
him in the same conversation as Christian McCaffrey and B. John Robinson and Austin Eckler as one of the best running backs out there. They finally took him off a snap count last week in this matchup against the Broncos, and he set a season high in snaps, carries, targets, receptions, and scrimmage yards. He scored his first touchdown of the season in that game as well, and he's averaging 8.3 yards per carry over his last two weeks. Second in the league in yards per touch. Third in the league in rushing yards over expectation per attempt. He's only going to get better as the season progresses. So right now, if anybody's trying to sell high after last week's outing, thinking that that was a fluke, I'm trying to buy him. Because as we get deeper into the season and you get closer to playoffs and those all-important playoff matchups where you're trying to get points and win your league, I think we're going to be looking at Brees Hall as a top five, top six running back. And then who are some players that you're lower on than the consensus rest of season? This one's a little spicy, um, and and I had to double-check this because I thought that it was kind of bold to have him this high, but Kenneth Walker right now is the RB3 in ECR rest-of-season rankings, wow. and he is my RB10. Now, RB10, you know, that doesn't mean that I hate Kenneth Walker. It doesn't mean that I'm saying you just cut him from your team, but if you can trade him right now for an RB3 price tag, I think you got to do it. He's got getting the work right now, and he's got the home run upside that we really like. You know, he can score from just about anywhere on the field. But we've seen his passing down work completely disappear as early as week four, the last game they played before the bye. And that's what Zach Charbonnet, the second round rookie they drafted, he profiles to take what we call the high value touches, the goal line work and the passing down work. So there is a world where Kenneth Walker is the RB1 in volume. He's getting the majority of the touches, but he's losing the passing down work and he's losing the goal line work. And that makes him more of an RB2 in fantasy rather than a top three running back. Zach Charbonnet is bigger and stronger, so he can take on some of that goal line work. And he also pulled three times the target share in college. We have seen... Uh, Kenneth Walker's targets go down every single week so far this season. Well, we've seen Zach Charbonnet's targets go up every single week. So I'm not sitting here saying that Zach Charbonnet is going to overtake this backfield and put Kenneth Walker out of a job. But my concern is that all that's going to be left for Kenneth Walker are these low value touches, the early down work, the between the 20s work. And if all of the high value touches end up falling Zach Charbonnet's way, it's going to leave Kenneth Walker's managers wanting a little bit more. Mentioning Charbonnet, I want to ask about some of the rookies because I'm a big fan of loading up on rookies uh, in redraft. Just I think uh, typically those guys tend to be undervalued, especially in home leagues. Uh, and, and so I love stashing those guys on my bench, you know, rookie running backs, rookie receivers. Who are some guys that you think could maybe break out in the second half of the season? Maybe, you know, guys that we should be patient with, but have the talent or maybe the opportunity to end up hitting, you know, second half of the year. You know, it might happen sooner rather than later. We've already started seeing some signs from Jordan Addison that he had the big play upside. And, you know, Jordan Addison had some really fun plays through his first few weeks. The target shares and the routes run were the problem. He hasn't really had an ability to get on the field as he's been playing kind of third fiddle behind, obviously, Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne. But now with reports that Justin Jefferson's hitting IR, I mean, there are already some rumors swirling that he might not play at all this year. I don't know if you talked with Jordan Schultz about that at all, but they're saying, you know, with the late buy and with the contract yeah. year and some other things, if Justin Jefferson misses the whole year, one, terrible for anybody who drafted Justin Jefferson number one overall, but two, it opens up a huge opportunity for first-round pick Jordan Addison to immediately cement his role in the offense. So Jordan Addison is a guy that I... Wasn't crazy about coming into the draft. Uh, you know, I didn't think that he was the best player out there. He doesn't have the really elite measurables, but he's got a knack for getting open. And now the opportunity is going to be there on one of the most pass-heavy teams in the NFL. He could easily jump ahead of K.J. Osborne 
be the wide receiver one on this team and see a similar workload to what we've seen from Justin Jefferson in the last two seasons. Yeah, Jordan mentioned, you know, the Vikings, uh, all eyes are kind of on them. You know, could they potentially look to move a Kirk Cousins who has a no-trade clause? Uh, there's, there's some different options there. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. But they've, I mean, speaking of disappointments, they've been one of the biggest disappointments in the league. I mean, I don't think anyone saw this season starting the way it, it has for them. So very interesting there. Um, I do want to ask you, Rashawn Johnson, I, I have him in a, quite a few leagues, and uh, I'm hoping that this could be the week he kind of steps up. I heard you guys talk about it on your uh, your waiver wire show. You know, not only him, but also Foreman. Uh, you've been you've been a huge Rashawn fan. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what do you think he can do with this opportunity? If Herbert's actually out for a couple of, a couple weeks here, you know, what are your expectations for Rashawn? And, and can you kind of break down his game for people that may not be as familiar? I mean, he is a thumper. He's a guy that kind of floated underneath the radar because obviously he was playing behind B. John Robinson at University of Texas. And if you're on a field with B. John Robinson, it's pretty hard to find a way to get touches for yourself. But he was one of my favorite draft picks coming into the league, just with his ability to break tackles, his ability to catch passes. Those are two things that we want to see in fantasy running backs. He reminds me a lot of Damian Pierce. If you're unfamiliar with Roshan Johnson, didn't get a chance to watch his college tape, just go look at Damian Pierce and what he did last year with the Texans. That same type of player, kind of like a Javante Williams as well, just runs really hard after contact. And then he kind of powers up. It seems like every time he hits a runner or every time he hits a defender, he just runs that much harder on his next run. So we've seen him in a limited workload so far. And he and Khalil Herbert are very different players. Khalil Herbert is kind of a gentle, fluid runner. He's able to find the creases in the defense and pick up the easier yards. Roshan Johnson seeks out contact. He will drop his head and run through a defender every single chance he gets. So now the opportunity is there. You know, they used a fourth round pick on him, which isn't crazy high, but for a running back in today's NFL, that's a pretty meaningful investment. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to play this week. You know, he's on concussion protocol right now. So this could end up being an opportunity for Deonta Foreman. But if Roshan Johnson plays this week or any of the upcoming weeks without Khalil Herbert, not only do I think that he's going to be looking at kind of high-end RB2 upside on those weekly basises, but I think that he could also be good enough that he can steal some of Khalil Herbert's role. We've seen Herbert kind of in a workhorse role the last couple of weeks, but I think that Roshan Johnson is good enough that once he gets unleashed on the field, they're not going to be able to pull him back in. It's going to kind of be a, a little genie out of the bottle type of situation in Chicago. Yeah, I could see that. Two more questions for you. What is going on with the Denver Broncos? And, and why isn't Marvin Mims playing more? It's so frustrating as someone that has him in a ton of redraft leagues. Uh, I have him in multiple dynasty leagues. Every time the guy touches the ball, he's been so electric, yet he's not getting any, you know, playing very few snaps, getting very few targets. I mean, what more does a guy have to show to get out in the field more? Uh, I know there's rumors now that the Broncos might be blowing it up, that you know, we've heard the rumors about Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton for some time now. Uh, maybe they look at, you know, possibly trading one or both of those guys at some point here. But what are your thoughts on Marvin Mims rest of season and just the Broncos as a whole? Because it seems like such a mess. And I'm sure Sean Payton's kind of regretting some of those Nathaniel Hackett's, uh, Nathaniel Hackett comments now with uh, where things are after the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, how cool that the Jets gave Nathaniel Hackett a, a game ball. I mean, just, just a fun story all around. But yeah, man, Sean Payton... I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know more than Sean Payton. Like he's an NFL coach and he's won a Super Bowl. He clearly knows what he's doing. But from the outside looking in, it doesn't appear that way. And and what I see is that he has his guys and he really likes his guys. You know, Greg Dulcich is a guy who popped off tape when you watched him last season as a rookie. And we all wanted that Greg Dulcich breakout. And then we see throughout the preseason that 
Adam Troutman, his old buddy from New Orleans, is getting the starting reps and getting all the targets. And then before Dulcich hurt his hamstring and hit IR, it seemed like Adam Troutman was the guy. And then we've got all of these really fun players and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. And like you said, Marvin Mims, who is a big play waiting to happen every single time he touches the ball. Meanwhile, they're getting Lil Jordan Humphrey snaps, another friend from New Orleans. And they're signing Traquan Smith to the practice squad, who's probably going to be elevated. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it it really is a disaster in Denver. Um, you know, I'm I'm a Chicago guy. I'm a Bears fan, but I live out here in Colorado. Oh, okay. And it's sad to see. Uh, you know, it, it, literally the day Russell Wilson signed, my neighbors were outside shooting fireworks off in the street, celebrating the Russell Wilson signing. Fast forward a year and a half, and I don't know if it could look like a bigger mistake at this point. So, what I want to say is, bet on the talent. Marvin Mims is a really talented player, but. There's another part in the back of my mind saying, I don't know if you can really trust anything Sean Payton is doing right now. So given the talent, given what we've seen in small doses, I think that you need to hold on to Marvin Mims. I don't think you can cut him at this point, but also don't be surprised if he ends up just sitting on your bench for the entire season doing a lot of nothing. Yeah, it seemed like things really played out perfectly for him. Not only, you know, does Sean Payton and the Broncos trade up to get him in the second round when they didn't really need a wide receiver, but then the Tim Patrick injury happens, KJ Hamler is no longer on the team. So, you know, it seemed like, oh, this is perfect. He's going to step right into that third receiver role. And then he looks great in the first couple of weeks, and it's like, oh, man, he, you know, he's just going to play nonstop. In the last two weeks, it's been barely anything. So definitely frustrating. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the talent, and I think long-term he's going to be fine ton of fun to watch. Uh, even as like a returner, he's just so explosive. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his. I'm hoping we get to see some more of him. But yeah, that Bronco situation, it's such a mess there. Uh, last question for you. I am a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I asked Jordan this too. Um, is this team for real? Because entering the year, everything was the Bucs are going to be awful. Oh, it's going to be a tank for Caleb or Drake May. Uh, now, you know, they were like 32nd in some power rankings. Today I saw CBS Sports has them at number six. You know, it's total. It's one of the spectrum to the other. I know Whoa. Pete Frisco has them at number six. Whoa. And I was very surprised about that. ESPN had them at nine. The Athletic has them at nine. So, like, they're in that range for quite a few power rankings. Not quite six, but this team has just surprised everyone. Baker Mayfield, I've been so impressed with his decision-making. He's so elusive back there, you know, not turning the ball over. The defense has been so aggressive. Um, I was, you know, out on Todd Bowles. Uh, I, I thought they had to fire him and move on, but... He's been excellent, and the defense is playing incredible. Dave Canales is a first-time play caller and offensive coordinator. Looks great. The the, the play calling has been so creative, and I don't know. Like on one hand, I don't want to get my heart broken and get my hopes up here, but on the other hand, they do look great. So is this team for real, or you know, I guess part of it. Not to answer my own question here, but uh, they do have some tough games coming up, like the Lions, Bills. There's some tough tests coming up that should answer the question for us. But what are your thoughts on this Bucks team, and and you know, could they actually be? a playoff team that makes some noise. Well, I think the NFC South is a pretty weak division right now, so I think it's pretty tough to count them out. I think it's tough to count any team out that's playing the NFC South right now. True. And, uh, you know, this this is a good team, and I kind of talked about it in the preseason because, like you said, everybody had written them off for dead. You know, I, I saw bottom three in almost every set of power rankings out there, and I didn't really understand that. And I don't know if you saw this tweet or not, um, Alex. I, I said this in the offseason, but I said, remember last year when we kind of wrote the Seahawks and Geno Smith off for dead? And then Geno Smith looked really good throwing the ball to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are just as good of a, dio, of a duo yeah. as DK and Tyler Lockett were. And now we see Baker Mayfield playing some of the best ball of his career. And of course, they've got a good offensive line, even though it's a little bit banged up right now. They're still doing enough to give Baker Mayfield the time in the pot 
pocket to hit those throws to those receivers that make really hard catches look like easy catches. And then, of course, the defense. I mean, I think that's something that we just kind of forgot about, that Levante David and totally drawn a blank here, uh, Devin White, you know, yeah, 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 like one of the best uh, linebacker duos in the league. And then, like you said, Vita Vea up front as well. They've got a really good defense. They've got two really good wide receivers, and they don't need Hall of Fame play from, you know, Tom Brady to put it all together. Baker Mayfield going out there and just kind of being the game manager and getting the ball in his playmaker's hands seems to be enough. So, you know, I don't don't want to talk poorly about anybody else's rankings. I think six is a little bit steep, but I think that you have to absolutely look at them as a top 12 team right now in the NFL. I, I think it's pretty tough to keep them out of the playoffs, given the division that they play in. Whether they can make some noise in the playoffs or not, hey, any given Sunday. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. And Baker's so much fun. You know, I know the fans love him. But I made the same comparison. So during the offseason, all the Bucks fans, you know, they were really high on Kyle Trask, understandably, with how high they drafted him. And they wanted him to be the quarterback. And my buddies were, were talking about, you know, what, what, what options are out there? And I said, you know, if you're going to go after someone, it needs to be someone young that has potential, but may, you know, maybe could have a big bounce back year. You're kind of looking for a Geno Smith 2.0, especially with Canales, who was with Geno last year. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Baker could be that guy. But again, I was being guarded. Didn't want to get my hopes up. I was <laughs> like, are we really going to be a playoff team? You know, the defense has some studs. Antoine Mitchell, by the way, has been playing out of his mind. So impressive. Uh, so, yeah, the defense had studs, but just the offense was so bad last year. And then you lose Brady and some other pieces, uh, you know, so I, I didn't want to get my hopes up. But so far, it's been pretty exciting. And I'm hoping that they don't just, you know, lose their next five games and, and break my heart. But it's it's been a fun team. At the very least, it's more fun than last year when Byron Leftwich would hand the ball off every first down. and We get one yard and uh, couldn't do anything. So it's been more fun this year, but... What I want to see this team do, and I, I don't know how you'd feel about this. I know he didn't really leave on the best terms, but Leonard Fournette seems like he would fit back in with what this team needs right now. Rashad White has been great as a pass catcher, but they need a running back that can step in as a pass blocker, and they need somebody that can thump between the tackles. I've talked about rushing yards over expectation a few times on this show so far. That's one of my favorite measures for a yeah. running back's efficiency. And Rashad White, when rushing the ball, has been a liability. I mean, he hasn't been great at rushing. Like I said, great in the passing game, but he really has limitations as a rusher. There was some hope that Sean Tucker could step up. That hasn't really happened. Keyshawn Vaughn just is what he is at this point. So I really think this team, now that they are making a legitimate push and sitting atop the NFC North, I think they should call up playoff Lenny and see if he wants to run it back this year. Yeah, I think he's getting a lot of blame for his inefficient running last year, but the offensive line was so bad. Again, the play calling was horrible. It, literally, you had like game film or uh, you know players mic'd up on defense calling out the plays and talking, yep. like laughing about how predictable uh, the Bucks were. So you know Lenny can only do so much, and obviously you know he's a fan favorite here just after the Super Bowl run and you know how how well he played. Um, Greg Alman, the beat writer uh, for Fox Sports that covers the Bucks, he said that he doesn't think it's likely and basically said uh-huh. they're paying him $2 million right now to not be on the team. <laughs> uh, he's like, so that's kind of everything you need to know. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. They need to do something to address the running back position, though, because Rashad White has not been very good. Um, Sean Tucker, I was really excited about him. I Same. thought he could be an interesting, you know, guy that, challenges White as the season goes along, but he really hasn't got much opportunity. And, and when he has touched the ball, he hasn't really done a lot with it. Keyshawn Vaughn is just a guy, as we kind of talked about, or as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, they they were apparently in the mix for Cam Akers. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if like a Zach Moss, if he does become available, if that's an option. 
That was the first name that popped into my mind, too. And I think that right now, um, you know, I don't know if Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury is still lingering at all. And that's why they're limiting the workload. I don't know exactly what's going on, but they've got one heck of a one two punch right there in Indy. And I think now maybe, you know, I was talking about Zach Moss being a trade candidate immediately after that game. But now with Anthony Richardson expected to miss, you know, they're saying four, six, eight weeks, yeah. whatever it may be. They might have to lean on that running back duo a little bit more. So I don't know if Zach Moss would be out there, but it would be fun. Zach Moss, you know, I talked about Kyron Williams kind of being one of my sell highs earlier. I'd like to see Zach Moss, whether it's in Los Angeles or whether it is in Tampa Bay with one of those teams where he can really kind of take over the backfield. Yeah, you make a good point about, you know, AR's injury. That could definitely, you know, cause them to hold on to him and just, you know, run both of those guys like crazy until he's back. So it'll be interesting. I appreciate you doing this, man. Again, I could pick your brain for hours. Uh, you know, I, I love fantasy football. It's always fun to talk with you. And uh, again, appreciate you whenever I do bug you uh, randomly with a uh, a trade question or something like that. You're always uh, great about helping me out. And I respect your opinions. You do great work. And uh, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, man. Everyone, make sure you guys are following Dave on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Make sure you guys check out Football Guys. Does a great job with his articles. Check out their YouTube channel. Uh, They just had a waiver episode drop and talking about all the players that you should target in your waiver wire. They do a great job over there, Dave Alfredo. So make sure you check that out and make sure you guys are subscribed to Running Up the Score. Uh, We drop new episodes every Tuesday and Friday evening. Uh, Thanks to Prize Picks for sponsoring this episode. But yeah, you guys can watch on YouTube. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. But be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes, and we will see you next Tuesday. Take care.